0: This wasn't going to be part of my talk today, but could we just express our gratitude for all the people who volunteer and serve at New Spring? I mean, wow. If you're new to New Spring, you may not know this. We have a pretty small staff here. It takes us 500 volunteers to pull off a weekend at New Spring. And so many of you volunteer your time and, and our, our idea is worship one, serve one. Uh, we have five services, the fourth of five services. A lot of you worship one, serve three or four. And I just, th- what made me think about that, the, the wonderful guy that just brought my stand out here and set it up here, uh, you might not know, but he's one of Wichita's best doctors. And and I just think about how many people serve and love God and volunteer at New Spring. And, and if you're yet to get into that, Wonderful group. Let me encourage you to, because whatever, whatever you have, there, God has a, a way of using that for his kingdom. It's extraordinary. All right. Our series is called It's a and So obviously we're talking about parenting. And um, this is the next to the last talk. And, and the title of today's talk is You Can't Do That. Because if you're a parent, at some point you're going to have to tell your kid, probably fairly early, you can't do that. Or you have to do that. And, and we, have to, we have to deal with pushback. Let's go back to the very first weekend of our series. I I told you that the most important words, at least to me, in the Bible on child-rearing are the three words in Ephesians 6-4 that says, bring them up. That is our goal as a parent, is to bring them up. We want our kids to be up. We want them to be the best that they can be. We want them to be the best students. We want them to be the best friends. We want them to be... Uh, the best as far as their potential goes. We want them to be the best when it comes to character. And let me just say this, where I want my boys to be up more than in any other area is in their relationship with God. I want them to know God personally. I don't mean necessarily up in the sense of being famous or being wealthy. Um, I wouldn't be crazy if my daughter was Lady Gaga. Uh, She's very famous, but that's that's not what I'm after. I, I want my kids to be at the best that they can be. Bring them up. Jonathan took us to an interesting place last week, and I, I found his message really intriguing because he started by talking about how that we tend to grow up wanting to emulate superheroes. And he challenged us as parents to, to look at God as the template, the superhero as a parent, because God is our parent. He is our father. And so Jonathan brought up certain things about God's nature and parenting and challenges to emulate them. Well, with my talk today focusing on dealing with pushback, I'd like to piggyback with what he talked about last week, and see how God deals with us in disciplining us. This is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them, but God is doing what is best for us. Now, parents, I'm not asking for a show of hands. I'm not asking for you to write me any stories that are embarrassing, but let's just be honest for a moment. How many of us disciplined our kids, frankly, not for them, but for us? And you know, they, they were doing something that embarrassed us in front of our friends. Maybe they were agitating us, irritating us, doing something that just got on our nerves, and finally we had enough, and we said, that's it, and we disciplined them. Now, it could be that we were correct in our point, but the, the fact of the matter is if we were honest with ourselves at that moment, we weren't necessarily disciplining our kids for their own personal benefit. We were disciplining them for our benefit. And I find it interesting, the Bible talks about when God has to discipline me, and he has to discipline me, there are times when God has spanked me. There have been times when God has put me in time out, and there have been times when God has grounded me. That is a fact. I have, and you always, and you know, here's the thing, when God has to like, when I push God too far and he finally deals with me, he always lets me know it. So yes, indeed, God chastens me, disciplines me as, as my, my parents, certainly not every time I do wrong or else I'd never get out of timeout. But you know, I, I love this. It says that God disciplines me for what is best for me, N- not for what makes him feel better, but for what is best for me. So we're going to start with that today and let that be our template. Our goal is to bring our kids up and our goal is to discipline them in a way that we actually do what is best for them. Well, here's the thing, though. Every parent is going to deal with pushback. Whether you're the parent of a toddler or you're parent of a teenager, you're going to deal with pushback. And if, you have, if, if you're dealing with your first child, that could be something of a surprise because you could have said to yourself, well, I didn't think my kid was going to give me pushback. I knew other people's kids gave them pushbacks. There's got to be something in my wife's family and her past that's coming out genetically. But I'm, I'm dealing with pushback here. And it's kind of amazing because it's your kid. Well, there's a reason why our kids have pushed pushback. It's the same reason why you and I push back against authority or against God. We have what the Bible calls a sin nature. Sometimes it calls it the flesh. Sometimes it calls it the carnal nature. Simply put, because our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned, we have a nature that's predisposed toward sin. We have a nature that's predisposed toward wrong. If you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit moves in, you have two natures. And if you want to read about this, you can read about it. It's spelled out. Beautifully in Romans chapter six, seven, and eight, you have a conflict going on, which is why if you're a Christ follower, one moment you can be enjoying praise. You know, Ryan and the band up here leading us in praise, and oh my God, we will not delay, and we're singing with that on the way home. All of a sudden, a word can come out of our mouth before we realize it. We're like, "How did praise come out of the same mouth that this word came out of?" And it's because we have an internal struggle going on. So here's the thing, the reason why our kids push back against authority, whether it's authority at school or authority at home, is because they have the same nature that we have. But that's no reason to give up. Because the Bible still says, bring them up. So parents and those of you who love parents, it could be that you're you're like me and you're getting close to the end of your kid raising, or you haven't had kids yet, or maybe you never will have kids, or or whatever. But here's the thing. If you're a parent, or you love somebody who is a parent, or you're just interested and intrigued with this relationship of God and you as parent and child, let me just say this. If we are going to emulate God, as parents especially, there are two kinds of parenting that we can't have in relationship to pushback. And the first one is permissiveness. Permissiveness. That's when our kid pushes back and we say, hey, it's just not worth it. Or I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm not gonna deal with it. I'm just gonna let it happen. I'm just gonna let my 13-year-old stand there and say she hates me and use bad language. I'm gonna just let my toddler do pretty much whatever he wants to do. And and I've I don't count so much anymore, but I've heard all kinds of things, you know, and reasons for why parents are permissive. You know, sometimes I hear I'm too busy to deal with it right now. Uh, I did stuff like that, too, and I survived. Uh, Their friends do the same thing. It's their mother's responsibility, besides the game is on. It's really kind of cute. I don't want to be the uncool mother. This is never really articulated, but I hear it. I don't want to be the uncool mother. I want to be the kooky, ditzy, permissive mom on TV that everybody wants to be around. And this one's not funny. This one's really kind of sad. And I've heard this way, way, way too many times. I really kind of think the divorce was my fault, and I don't want their time over here to be unhappy. Besides, their father always lets them do whatever they want to do, and he always winds up the good guy. Or they'll grow out of it. We have reasons many times as parents for being permissive, but we need to understand that God is not that kind of parent. God is not that kind of parent with Mark. God is not that kind of parent with you. God is, we saw a few moments ago, doing what is best for us. And God loves me too much. God loves me too much to allow me to get into habitual bad behavior that has the potential to destroy my life. And so he is doing what is best for me. Now, the verse that says God is doing what is best for us is followed immediately by this verse that extrapolates God's discipline in our life. It says this, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. Now, again, we're not talking about parental discipline of a child. We're talking about God's discipline of us. And that word painful there, I want to give you exactly what it means in Greek. It, it means it's sad or it's heavy. Let's reread that verse and read that with the, defin, the, the definitive word there. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's heavy. I, there is a great therapist slash writer who writes on the subject of parent-child relationships. And in the writing recently, he has emphasized the fact that the problem with a lot of parent-child relationships is the parents feel that there is a problem, but the child doesn't feel that there's any problem. Like the old movie that most of you are too young to remember, what we have here is failure to communicate. And so what happens is the parent feels that there's a problem, but somehow the parent is not getting across to the child that there is a problem. The parent feels heavy, but the child doesn't feel any heaviness. Most of the time it's because parents try to shield all of the responsibility. But what I read about the Bible and God's relationship with Mark, if God feels heavy about Mark's conduct, God wants Mark to feel heavy about it. No, no discipline at the moment is enjoyable. While it's happening, it's heavy. It's heavy. For a few moments, I want to talk to all of us about permissive parenting because I think it's a huge issue in our culture today. I want to, let me give you just two or three reasons why I think permissive parenting is, is almost the norm. Number one, it's just our age. Again, almost. Oh, actually, I'm too young for this. I'm so glad to be too young for anything, to be honest. But in 1946, there was a, a at least self-anointed child behavior specialist named Benjamin Spock. Now, we're not talking about the guy with the point of ears on Star Trek. Okay, this is a different Spock. Benjamin Spock wrote a book about parenting. Now, think about the year for a moment, 1946. That's the first year after World War II. And after World War II, we had just fought the war to end all wars, and Americans were in a very good mood. They had been through the Depression. They had been through the Second World War. And they were and the soldiers were coming home. They were building new lives. They were getting new educations. And the whole idea was we were going to learn to live in an advanced way. And so, Old norms were being challenged. Some of that was a good thing. And there were new ideas coming along about how we would live our lives. We would live our lives in an advanced way. And in that slipstream of thought came Benjamin Spock's book on child rearing. And Spock said, and I'm painting with a broad brush, but this was basically his premise. His book was that his, his idea was that parents had been too heavy-handed and too authoritarian in their discipline and kids had been squashed or tender psyches had been squashed. And so the idea was to basically let kids do pretty much whatever they want to do, find self-expression, and for parents not to stifle, not to stifle them with correction. The Bible has always been a bestseller, but for all that time, Benjamin Spock's book on child was number two. And a whole generation of children post-World War II were affected with that parents' rearing their kids with Spock, letting their kids do pretty much whatever they want to do. Now, if you've ever wondered why the 60s came along, now you know why. (laughs) And even though most of us are way too young to remember Benjamin Spock or remember the era that I'm talking about, we're still greatly affected by it today. Well, there's a second reason why there's a lot of permissive parenting today, and that's that we're distracted. You know, when I, if I were to draw a cartoon, and I'm not a cartoonist, but if I were to draw a cartoon and draw the average family, I would draw everybody, mom, dad, kids, teenagers, everybody, everybody with a pacifier. Because this is where I sort of feel like we are. We have electronic pacifiers all over our house. Lord knows we have them in our house. I mean, can the plasmas get any bigger? We're gonna have to get bigger walls. <laughs> we got these huge, tall, we have theaters in our homes. And channels, I mean, with with cable TV, I'm so old I can remember before cable television. I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Can you believe this? It's one of the largest areas in the United States. We only have five channels. We had an ABC, CBS, NBC affiliate. We had public television and independent. Five channels for Dallas-Fort Worth area. My grandparents lived outside of Austin. They had one channel. Man, I went to their house. I thought it was like being in prison. (laughs) Today we got 600 channels and nothing's on. You know that, right, ladies, because your husband's sitting there going, I mean, if there was something on, you'd land on something. You have to pacify (laughs) her. And then the Internet, I mean, there's always stuff to get. And then there are all kinds of tools for the Internet. We have smartphones and iPads and laptops. And I mean, it's like in video games, it's like everybody comes in the house and goes straight to their pacifier. And here's the problem. With a lot of parents, we feel like everything is cool because my house is quiet because my kid is, like, hooked up mentally to the video game. We don't know what's going on. Could be playing an M-rated game. Could be cutting people's heads off and all kinds of stuff. We don't know. It's quiet. We'll have a pacifier in. Frankly, a lot of homes are permissive not because our values are permissive values. We just don't have a clue what's going on. And there's another reason. I know I sound like I'm really sound like an old guy today. I sound like the old guy that I am. But you know, my grandparents' generation there were cultural norms that really helped families and helped relationships. There were cultural expectations for man-woman relationships, cultural norms for families, cultural norms for behavior. All those guardrails are down today. And we think that we're, we're in freedom. I mean, honestly, folks, I promise you, if I hear an expression one more time, I think I'm going to kick something hard. We're evolved. Are you kidding me? Try reading a magazine article from the 40s and look at the intellectual level it was written on. We're not evolved; we're a train wreck. I mean, I mean, we've we've lost we've lost our cultural sense of, of reason, and, and and what I what I what I care about so much is I see I see marriages forming and and families forming in a culture where there's no help from the culture. In fact, the culture is is almost the enemy. It's 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 troubling. And you'll know why I make this point later on in the message. One of the reasons why we have permissive families today is there's just chaos in a lot of personal relationships. A lot of kids are growing up in chaotic homes, chaotic relationships. So what does God have to say about permissive parenting? Well, let me give you a statement from the Bible, and I'm going to give you a couple of stories. The statement I want to give you is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Proverbs 19, verse 18 says, Discipline your children while you still have the chance. Indulging them destroys them. Now, guys, I hate it when ministers ask me to do this, but I'm going to do this. I want you to repeat this because I want us to make sure we get it. Indulging destroys them. Would you say it with me, please? Indulging them destroys them. Not indulging them affects them adversely. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says indulging them destroys them. If you want to destroy your kids, just let them do anything they want to do. If you want to destroy your kids, just let them say anything you want to say. And see, here's what works backward about that. We think, oh, I'm being merciful. I'm being kind. I mean, I'm letting my kid say anything she wants to say to me. I'm letting my kid smart off to his mother. I'm letting my kid get by and come in whenever he wants to come in and violate curfews. I'm letting my kid do that because I'm a nice parent. I'm a generous parent. I'm a merciful parent. No. If the Bible is true, and I happen to believe it is, it's your call on what you think. But according to the Bible, if you're indulging your kid, you're killing your kid. Let me give you a couple of stories from the Bible. And I find this interesting. I found, all my career, I found this interesting. Some of the Bible's greatest people were some of the most horrific parents. Isn't that strange? In fact, when you study the Bible, it's a challenge to find anybody who, who, who did a pretty good job of parenting. One of the guys in the Bible is named Eli. He was a priest, and I think Eli, as far as his relationship with God, was probably pretty good. His issue was, I think he liked to live a cushy life. And I know that he allowed himself to become obese, which is not God's plan for priests. But Eli's biggest problem was he had two sons, and he did not do anything about their conduct. He, did not, he, he was a permissive parent, and he actually put his sons in the priesthood. And they wound up, you can read about this in the book of 1 Samuel, they wound up seducing the young woman who assisted, who worked on the campus of the tabernacle and here's what God said to Eli, or about him. I told him I would judge his family forever because, read this with me, of the sin he knew about. Now, my mom was in the service last night, in the late service last night, and the early service this morning. And I, I was honest with the congregation while she was in there. I said, there's stuff my mom doesn't know about. And if I can help it for the rest of my life, y'all unscrew the halos, don't look at me that way. I mean, how many of you, the stuff you did your mom and dad don't know about yet? Okay, that's going to happen. If you're a parent, your kids are going to do some things that you're not going to know about. And God didn't say to Eli, I'm holding you accountable for the stuff you don't know about. He said, I'm holding you accountable for the stuff that you do know about. He said his sons made themselves contemptible. And look at this, moms and dads, future moms and dads. He failed to restrain them. The second parent that I would like to show you is David. I'm talking about Psalm 23 David, David and Goliath David, one of the great legends. I mean, a person I honestly cannot wait to get to heaven to meet. We're talking about one of the Bible's rock stars, and yet he was one of the worst parents in the Bible. And I don't know why David was one of the worst parents in the Bible. I have a theory on it. I think that David grew up in isolation when he was a kid, and I think he was always looking for solitude. And I don't think he really liked to engage with his kids. I think he was always trying to get by himself. But I do know this. I know David couldn't confront anybody. Isn't it ironic that the young man has a teenager who walked down into a valley with a bag of rocks and went mano a mano with a giant nine feet tall. Isn't it interesting that he couldn't confront anybody in his family? I mean, that gets pretty close to ringing a bell with some of us. Some of us can sit across the table and negotiate big deals, but we have a hard time talking to our kids. Well, David's family was a catastrophe, and a lot of his boys died young because of their behavior. I want to, I want to tell you about a son here that you might not have ever heard of because he comes along late in David's life. His name is Adonijah. Now, I'd just like to read what the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 6. The Bible says his father, that's David, had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome, and he was born next after Absalom. Now, we could do a whole sermon on this verse that I just read to you. Absalom was David's most rebellious son. He tried to steal the kingdom from David. So notice that this boy came right after Absalom. Sometimes... As parents, we will actually have to watch the influence of one child over another child. And then on top of that, the Bible st- says here that he was very handsome. Evidently, David was proud of the way his boy looked. I mean, people must have said things like, wow, look at Adonijah. He's, like, he's handsome like his old man. And David's said, yeah. And as a result, David never interfered with him. And he never even said, why do you do what you're doing? David never questioned the rationale or the reasoning behind Adonijah's conduct. So, guess what happened? If you read the rest of the story, Adonijah just decided he would be king. That's what will happen with our kids. If we're permissive and we never hold them accountable and and we live vicariously through them, through their sports or whatever they do, don't be surprised when the kid decides someday he'll be king or she'll be king. And in that process, if you read the story, Adonijah got himself killed. It's just what the Bible says, discipline your children while you still have the chance. Indulging them destroys them. Well, the first trap that we could fall into is the trap of permissiveness. And we can't be permissive parents if we're going to be like God. But now I want to talk about the second trap because I know good and well that somebody's sitting out there, and especially maybe a guy, and you're saying to yourself, Mark, you're so right, so right, so right, these permissive parents. I don't know what's the matter with them. They just don't know how to raise kids. Now, you talk about me. I know, I, I know how to raise kids. Now, I, I, just, I, I deal with it just fine. Uh, I, I, here's how I handle it i just say, hey, you don't shut it up in there. I'm gonna, don't make me come in there. And <laughs> Man, the F-bomb, my kid didn't learn it in the streets. My kid learned it at home from me because I said, if you don't get your, I'm going to beat it off. Well, that's good enough for my. That's good enough child rearing for me. That's good enough for my old man. It's good enough for me. After all, look at me. I came out okay. Uh huh. You know, my kids good and scared. I want to talk for a few moments about harsh, authoritarian, screaming, yelling, out of control parenting. And now the Bible says. A word to you parents, don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, here's our words, bring them up with the loving discipline the Lord himself approves with suggestions and godly advice. And I love Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Let me ask you a question. When you get discouraged, because this is what God doesn't want to have happen with our kids, When you get discouraged, what does it make you want to do? starts with Q. Quit, right? That's what happens with me when I get discouraged. I want to quit. I don't, but I want to. And that's the thing. God God doesn't want our kids to become so discouraged that they just say, why try? Well, what is it that causes our kids to be discouraged? Just back up into Ephesians chapter 6, and you can see the Bible says, don't keep on scolding and keep on nagging your children. See, here's the thing that I think really messes up a lot of relationships between parents and kids is that there's this sort of constant scolding that goes on. When you stop that, I'm going to come. And nothing ever gets resolved. I mean, one thing I got, I'm so thankful for the way my parents raised me, and my parents raised me with pretty strict discipline, but I will say this about my mom and dad especially. When there was a problem, they dealt with the problem, and then it was over. And then we went back to normalcy. Whatever, whatever I had to deal with, I had to deal with. I, I dealt with it, and it was past. And they didn't hold grudges, and they didn't, keep, they didn't keep records of what I had done in the past. There was an issue. We dealt with it. We moved on. And, and, and this is exactly what the Bible is talking about, loving discipline, kind, loving, gracious discipline. that doesn't just... i only got 10 minutes. I spent so much time in the introduction, I only have 10 minutes for the sermon. But really, we're only going to need about 10 minutes. How do we deal with pushback? I don't counsel much anymore, but in all the years of pastoring, I've counseled with hundreds of parents. And they were asking me the question about how to deal with pushback in a family, with a toddler or, a, you know, pre-adolescent or an adolescent teenager. And, and here's the thing that I discovered. Think with me for a moment, please. What I discovered is that most of it was situational. This kid, this situation, in this time frame. How do I deal with this kid, this situation, this time frame? Well, there's no way in the world I could talk about every situation today. And besides, I don't need to because there are so many great books that deal with situ- situational discipline. Have a New Kid by Friday. I love Making Your Kid Mine Without Losing Yours. What a great one. And James Dobson's wonderful old book, Dare to Discipline. Raising Great Kids, I mean, on and on. we got some great books in our bookstore. You can go to Christian bookstores here, get on Amazon. They're wonderful books about situational parenting. But for the 10 minutes I have left, I want to talk about something else. See, here's my issue. See, I laugh about this a little bit when I read all these things in the books. I think, who has time to look up the answer in a book when your 4-year-old is going nuts in the grocery store? Or who's, who's got time? Who can remember what page the answer's on when your 13-year-old stands there rolling her eyes at you saying that you're ruining her life forever? <laughs> is there a guide? Is there a philosophical, conceptual guide that, that sort of guides discipline? Is there one thought to think about? I believe there is. In fact, I told Mary Ellen, I know this is good because I wish somebody had delivered it to me 30 years ago. I mean, my son graduates, my youngest, my baby graduates this afternoon. And I said this before I realized it in the late service last night. I said, You know, I'd like to do it, I'd like to have it to do over again. I I don't know that I'm really excited about the empty nest. I, I loved parenting, I'd love to have another crack at it. I'd love to have another crack at it knowing what I'm about to tell you right now. Most of us never really stop to think about what it is that we actually want when we discipline our kids. We want them to shut up. We want them to quit. Grow up. Stop being mouthy. All all those are short-term things. What is it that we really want? I thought about it as I studied the scriptures. We want order. We want order, we want an orderly home. We want orderly relationships. We want order in our we want our kids to have organized, ordered lives. We don't want them to be out of order. See, the opposite of order is chaos. And and, and what's going on when they misbehave is there's chaos. And we don't want them to be in chaos. We want them to get back into order. There's a better word for it in the Bible, the Bible calls it peace. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want our kids to have peace? We want our kids to have peace with God, peace with us, peace with their siblings, peace with their teachers, peace with their friends, peace with their career choice. We want them to have peace with the future mate. And most of all, beyond having peace with God, we want them to have peace within themselves. But let's get real. A lot of us, if we ask for peace and order in the lives of our kids, we're asking for the unreasonable because order comes out of order. Order doesn't come out of chaos. Peace comes out of peace. Peace doesn't come out of chaos. And if we're living lives that are chaotic, isn't it a little bit unfair to ask our kids to live lives of order if our lives are in chaos and our lives are not at peace? Isn't it a little bit unfair to ask our kids to live lives of peace if we're not at peace with the most important person in our life to the extent that we have the ability to do it? I know I'm running the risk of being politically incorrect, but that's never stopped me before. I just cannot believe how many personal relationships are in chaos that bring children into the world. I had friends tell me the other day, you know, we're, you know, we're together, we're not really sure we wanna to be together, but we think we're gonna have a kid and maybe we'll see if having a kid will make us wanna get married. And I thought to myself, I don't wanna say any bad words, but if somebody would write some out, I'd sign my name to them. I mean, it's like pop culture is like poison the groundwater. Oh I'm not trying to listen you please and, and if the last thing I want to do is induce guilt because guilt's a worth, worthless emotion all I'm just, I'm just trying to be honest here all i 'm saying is is it fair i 'm just speaking for kids for a moment Is it fair to ask them to be in peace and in order if our lives are not in order? See the thing of it is a lot of us are we grew up permissive kids, and now we're permissive parents and permissive grandparents. And frankly, some of us need to have a growing up experience that can take place in about 15 minutes. Our goal needs to be that we bring children into the peaceful order of a family. Now, let me just let me tell you what I see happening a lot. A lot of times what happens in families today is that the, the adults are in chaos, and, and we know we're in chaos, and we know why we're in chaos, and we know that we made bad decisions that put us where we are, and some, some things, honestly, and, and here's what I really want to be honest about. There are a lot of things you can't do anything about, and I, I'm cognizant of that, and, and I'm not trying to put pressure on you to do things, do things about, that you can't change, but a lot of times it goes, it goes like this. As adults, our lives are in chaos. We're bringing a child, and we know we're bringing a child into a chaotic situation. So here's what we say. We have to put the child on an island. We've got to put this child on an emotional island because our situation is in chaos. And so because we're putting this child on an emotional island, our whole life and family has to revolve around this child. Our, Our marriage has to revolve around this child. our relationships, everything revolves around this child, and we communicate the absolute wrong signal to that child because we teach that child the world revolves around him. And when that child hits 18, goes out in the real world and finds out the world doesn't think it revolves around him, we have got a problem on your hands. So here's the thing, even if you find yourself in chaos right now as an adult and your relationships are in chaos, here's what you want to do. You want to get as much order in your life as you possibly can. If nothing else, just getting order in your own personal life. You said, Mark, the person I'm with is so and he won't do anything about it. Okay, at least just get order in your personal life. Just come to the place where you get peace in your life when your relationship with God is determined to be a person of peace and order. And here's the thing to do next. You want to bring your kids into that order. You want your son, your daughter to fit into an orderly relationship. By the way, God does have an order if we're interested. It's in Ephesians 6.1 for kids, this thing about pushback. It says, children, obey your parents. This is the right thing to do because God has placed them in authority over you. Honor your father and mother. And I know what some of you are going to do. You're going to pick up your kids from kids' world. You're going to be in the car on the way home, and you're going to say, Okay. <laughs> We're going to go home and have a home of order. Mark said, you got to obey me. That's the way it works. (laughs) Do you realize that that's in 6, that's in chapter 6. God starts talking about family relationships in chapter 5. Do you realize this thing about kids obeying parents is way down the list of God's order? Do you know what's supposed to happen first? Chapter 5, verse 1. As individuals, we're to imitate God. As soon as there's somebody else in our life, a man or a woman, then 521, we're to submit to one another. That means we're to put the other person's interest. If you're married, you to put the other person's interest ahead of yours. In specific, husbands love your wives, chapter 5:25, 28, and 33. And it's not the kind of love that is in the songs and the movies. It's the kind of love that a man gives himself up for the woman he's with. That he puts her interests ahead of his, her feelings ahead of his, her needs ahead of his, her enjoyment ahead of his. And then, wives, respect your husbands, even if he doesn't deserve it. Chapter 5, verse 22, 24, and 33. You see, that's the order. That's the order. I mean, I know in in a lot of our cases, our our homes are a long way from that. All right, let's just be honest about where they are and start moving this direction. But first of all, we're submissive to God. Then we submit to each other. Husbands love their wives. Put them first. Wives respect their husbands. And then after that, parents bring them up. We saw that in chapter 6. And after that, it says for children to honor their parents. Well, how do you handle it when, as a parent, you have to say you can't do that? I think, the, and this is my heart's message to you today the goal is peace. Think about that. When you have to discipline, the goal is peace, the goal is order. Remember, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening, it's painful. You know what comes after that? But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living. Remember, God doesn't do what seems best to him, Hebrews chapter 10, 12, verse 10. God is doing what is best for us. Parents, there's a verse that I love very much. And if you ever want to put a verse on your refrigerator or on your screensaver or tape it someplace that you see every day, and husbands and wives, this is great for you. Learn to love these two verses. James chapter 3, verse 17. But the wisdom from above, in other words, God's way of thinking, is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. Now, parents, look at this. It shows no favoritism. You got more than one kid? You want to read that. It shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. I love verse 18, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. I am convinced that the greatest thing you can do to discipline your kids is to create an environment of peace and an environment of order according to God's order and lovingly bring them in to that peaceful order. Guys, I know as I get through tonight's, uh, this morning's talk, that I could have, I could cause guilt for all of us, starting with me, because as I said, I'd love to do parenting over again with the focus that I brought today. But if you're here and you're saying, Mark, I'm in chaos, my relationships are in chaos, and my kid, my relationship with my kid is in chaos, I am so happy to tell you at the end that you're dealing with a God who gives second chances. I want to read to you 2 Samuel 22, verse 21. God made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. When I cleaned up my act, he gave me a fresh start. Isn't that great news? If you've got broken pieces in your relationships with your husband or wife or with your kids, bring those broken pieces to God and say, God, give us a new start. And for some of us, it will mean being honest with our kids and saying, guys, we've been on the wrong track for a while, but we're going to get on the right track. And invite them to pray with you that God will bring you and bring your family to a place of peace. Thank you so much for being here. Next weekend, we close out its appearance. And in two weekends from right now, we'll start the biggest series in the history of New Spring called Push. Pray until something happens. God bless you. Thank you for being here. We will see you next week.